welcome to Right There With You. I'm so happy that you're here. It is the first full-length episode, and I really can't pick a better episode to start all of this off with because, as I mentioned before in the um, trailer, I mentioned how long I have been working on this podcast, and when I say that it has been years of me working on this, this episode is proof of that because this episode was actually recorded in May of 2019. So that's how long I truly have been working on this. And I can't, like I said, I cannot picture a better first episode and a better guest to have for my first episode. I am joined by my one of my forever cheerleaders and one of the most important people in my world my older sister joined me three years ago when I first was playing around with the idea of creating a podcast to the point where I mean I didn't have I didn't have a name for it or anything and I knew kind of what I wanted to do and she was so gracious to join me and she just sat down on my bed in my little Long Beach apartment. And we sat there with a microphone and my laptop. And when I say a microphone, I mean like a microphone that you use to like MC a, a party or a wedding. It was like not a mic that was made for like recording music or recording podcasts or anything like that. So I'm going to preface this episode and just say this is not the quality of sound that I'm really going for in all the rest of my episodes, but there were so many wonderful things about this interview that I just, I couldn't throw it out, and it was the very first one that we recorded, and my sister was so gracious to give her, or to give me her time, and I it was just, it still worked perfectly. So I'm going to preface this with, um, you know, give, give a little grace for the sound quality on this episode because I was very early on into creating this podcast and I have since upgraded all of my mics and equipment and everything. So there are times where Steph gets a little quiet and it's a little hard to hear her, um, and it's a little more muffled than I'd like, but there's some really wonderful things about this episode. We talk a lot about our childhood. I really try to dive into some of the decisions that my sister has made over the years because she has a really, really incredible story, and I'm still even even listening back and going through back through to edit some of this, it was so, I'm always, I'm continually amazed by my sister. It never fails. And this was just a a great reminder of how incredible she is. Just going back to listen to some of her stories and um, the challenges and the choices she's made in her life, just, I'm just amazed at the person that she is. And I hope that you all love her um, as much as I do. So a couple things before I dive into that episode and start playing that recording. 
there is we really jump right into the the recording starts kind of where we're mid-conversation talking about our childhood and the roles that we played as her as the oldest sibling and myself as the middle child and then my younger brother as the youngest we really dive into some of that um so you know if anything this this podcast episode is going to give you a great look at the incredible woman that my sister is but it'll give you a little bit of insight into me as well because we you'll start to learn a little bit about me in this episode as well because there's truly no one that I am more myself with than my siblings they have been through absolutely everything with me and it it's they break down any kind of wall or um front that I have so it's a very it's an honest conversation and it is one that I hope you all enjoy and I hope that I get to bring her back now years later and maybe chat about some of the things that we talked about and get an update and see what other amazing things that she's done since then um there's a couple a couple things in there that really make me laugh and really make me cherish some of the time that we got to spend together pre-COVID. Um, COVID has really kind of kept us apart so much. Within the last year, we've seen each other a little bit more, but um, she came out to visit me in California for this, uh, when we recorded this episode, and it was so lovely having her out here in my world um, and it, it was a wonderful trip and it was a great reminder of the bond that we have and our, our relationship. And I'm, I'm just so happy that she decided to join me and that you all get to witness a little bit of who my sister Stephanie is. Um, so like I said, about three years ago, this was recorded You'll even, you'll for sure know because we do end up talking about Game of Thrones at the end of it. And that this was like right towards the end of the last season. So, you know, I'm being serious about this being recorded three years ago. Um, and there is one more thing that I would want, I would like to just touch on before we dive into the, the episode. We, Stephanie and I go into a little bit. We, we talk about high school and some of, and our personal experiences and listening back to it we we comment on what an easy or an easier time it was then and being in high school and versus you know being an adult and the responsibilities we have at that time and listening back I I want to also mention that you know this was the experience that my sister and I had so commenting and for us to say how easy high school was, um, I just want to acknowledge that we both know that that's not the case for everyone. And there there are a plethora of people who have had various experiences throughout high school. Some people had a really, really hard time in high school um, socially um, through all of their education, you know, in their home lives you know, some people were had to work really hard through high school in their personal lives. Um, and they, it, high school was by no means a walk in the park. And so I just kind of wanted to mention that because we do talk about how 
easy life is when we're in high school. And that's not always the case for a, a lot of people. So we are incredibly fortunate that it felt that way for us. But just something to note that it is, you know, hindsight, there's, we absolutely know that that's not the case for everyone. So as we head into this episode, I hope you love it as much as I do. I hope that you find some of the wisdom that my, that my sister has um, instilled in me and hopefully you take a little bit away from her as well. She is one of the most incredible human beings that I know, and I know that I'm biased, but hey, I, I'm i so impressed by her, and I continue to learn from her every day, every year. I, I continue to learn lessons from her and to see what an example she has been for me over the years. It was a no-brainer that I wanted to have her on the, on the podcast, and she just happens to be the first episode. So please, please enjoy my sister Stephanie and the podcast we recorded three years ago. Honestly, when I'm looking at the three of us, I think we fall into those stereotypes on a lot of counts. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. So you're the oldest. Did you, did you, how was growing up as the oldest? Because I obviously don't know. I'm not the oldest. What's your insight on how you felt your role was in the family? Like, did you feel responsibility for us? Did you feel like you had to pave the way? Or did you even think about that kind of stuff? Yeah, I, there was definitely a lot of responsibility. There was, whether explicit or not, there were these rules I felt like I had to follow that kind of We'll say a little more narrow than the rules that the other children had to follow. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I never broke any rules, so. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Probably because I was terrified to break rules because I was the oldest. And so, like, any consequences that came down from any rule breaking were always the most severe for the oldest child. Like, even if all three of us were involved or, like, any combination of us were involved, any consequence that came down would be harsher for me because I was older and I should have known better. Or should have known better. Yeah. Sure. Well, and plus, you you were the, the pioneer. You mm. had to test mom and dad. And figure yeah. out what was allowed and what wasn't. Yeah, which I didn't do. Right. Which I didn't just want to. <laughs> put, put me in the shitter because I had to figure it out because you didn't do anything wrong. So, but, I mean, it's so true. I did things wrong. Well, yeah. I just tried really hard not to. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about our parents is, for the most part, I mean, they're very, we didn't have, like, a rigid childhood by any means. No. They're very, like, they wanted us to make mistakes, and they wanted us to... To do a lot of things. Yeah. We did a lot of things. We did so many things. Yeah. Which, of course, looking back on it, is, like, we were so fortunate that they encouraged us. You, especially, too, had such a wide view of interest growing up. Yeah. That was also always kind of intimidating for me, Mm. because I felt like... And, you know, again, this is, like, a stereotype thing. I feel like all younger siblings old 
older siblings, you know, on a pedestal, you know, we want to be like them and we want to live up to them. And you were generally very good at anything and everything that you attempted. You played multiple instruments and you were very good at all of them. You took on, in your later years, multiple languages to speak and you were good at that. And, and not to mention you were an a killer student and then you were also a cheerleader for a little while and you were a dancer and we took on so many things growing up and it's funny because I feel like that's kind of hardwired into us to do to always be doing something yeah do you feel like that too yeah I mean we were encouraged to participate in a lot of things we you know whether it was competitive or not I mean we we danced competitively or you know we we did things like cheerleading or like I've done tennis but like even before that there were there were things that we were just encouraged to do like we all took swimming lessons and skating lessons and piano lessons and it was a way for us to 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 experiment and try to find the things that we liked and were good at and so looking at that I just want to point out that it wasn't all my initiative. <laughs> so, like, it wasn't all like, I'm just going to like join every club out there. It was like, no, this was, there was a, a path or at least a, a direction. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think something I don't think I've ever asked you and I've kind of always been curious about. Do you think, do you think generally school was like an easy thing for you? Uh, I'd say there were certain aspects of it that were easy. There were definitely elements of it that were challenging or very difficult. I think I was able to accelerate a little bit in early years and then when I got to like middle school and then into into high school I could sort of like specialize my track and so I like steered away from the things that I had figured out weren't easy or enjoyable for me so it became easier to make things, it, it became easier to do better at school because I had already like found the things that I was, that I was good at and I had channeled myself toward that. There were obviously like, the, there were certain classes like the math and like the science classes where I was like, this is not for me and I'm very uncomfortable and I steered away from those classes. I didn't take any of those my last two years of high school um, because, partially because I didn't need to and then because I wasn't good at them. I didn't want to. <laughs> now... I tell this story, I, honestly, the amount of times that I have said this to a human being is actually remarkable because I feel like you're always my cheerleader, but I am also your cheerleader because I'm like, oh, my sister, she was so, her senior year in high school, she was in Spanish four and French two and German one and sign language. And I was like sitting, you know, listing all of these things because it just seemed to me I'm sure that, I mean, that's always the case on the outside looking in at someone, you Mm -hmm. know, you think they have it all together and you feel like those things came easy and school always seemed like something it was just, you were good at. Mm -hmm. I I think I was very fortunate to have a lot of people, like you said, cheerleaders and people in my corner who were guiding me. So yeah, I'm not going to say that school was easy, but it was definitely enjoyable and I think those two kind of go hand in hand so if something is uh, more enjoyable it's going to feel easier and vice versa if it's if it's easier it's going to feel a little more enjoyable and I had a good experience <laughs> I, <laughs> which like is not, I know which is not the case a lot of times no 
people didn't like high school. No. And I think I've been kind of oblivious to that because now I'm, uh, so next year will be my 10 year reunion. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. And since moving back home, I've run into people I went to high school with. Oh, uh uh-huh. And not that I'm like someone who's trying to live in the past, but like it's been almost 10 years since I've seen some of these people, you know, regardless of what they're doing on Facebook or Instagram. I don't truly keep up with a lot of people. So yeah. when I see these people out, I'm like, hey, remember, like, I'm not going to, like, bring up a specific football game or anything, but, like, you know, I have good memories of high school. And mm-hmm. so I I share those memories or at least that feeling with yeah. other people. And I get this really, like, if not hostile, then genuinely confused look from people. Like, why are you talking about high school? This is... It's been really strange. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Because maybe you guys had just different... Different experiences. experiences. Yeah. Isn't that funny? I think, you know, I talk to... I I mean, I've had lots of different experiences when I've talked to people about high school and things like that. Because, well, I think high school is such a... It's such a different experience for everyone, and you're trying to figure out who you are, and you have no idea who you are. Who, Who knows who they are when they're in high school? Yeah. I mean... You may know things about yourself, but you don't, and you're trying to navigate it, and so it's different for everybody. Yeah. And so... And it changes, too. I mean, yeah. I look back on the, the ideas that I thought I held strongly in high school, and I've, I'm completely different. Yeah. You know, Maybe I, not so much in the execution of those <laughs> ideas, because I'm pretty much, like, singularly focused still <laughs> on the things that I care about, but the things that I care about have changed. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to me because I did enjoy high school. I mm-hmm. did. And I think our brother did too. I think so too. Yeah, overall. I mean, there's always going to be overall. moments where yeah. you're like, God, I wish I didn't wear that or like I didn't. Like, of I course. Done that. Of course. But that's also the part of the fun of what high school is. Yeah. But overall, generally, I would say if someone walked up to me and was like, hey, I have a time machine. Do you want to relive high school? Mm-hmm. Uh, honestly, I might. Maybe not like the full four years. I don't know if I <laughs> want to do all of that again. Yeah. But I might do like my junior year again or my senior year again. Mm-hmm. Because you think about what I had no responsibilities. <laughs> none. <laughs> none. I didn't have to do anything but go to school and go to my extracurricular activities and spend time with my family and friends. Mm-hmm. What a life that yeah. is that we never that we take for granted so much. <laughs> oh, genuinely, and especially because I've, I've been substitute teaching in the K-12 schools in our hometown, and being back in the high school, it makes me want to, like, shake people sometimes. Like, <laughs> yeah! Like, the amount of cell phone chasing I have to do is a little absurd to me, but beyond that, I, I want to, like, just shake people. Yeah. And say, it's never going to be this easy again. <sighs> Yeah. All you have to do is show up and just absorb and, you know, you, yeah, you have to read Romeo and Juliet or you have to read the Odyssey or you have to study um, inertia yeah. in physics or, you know, memorize the Pythagorean theorem. Mm-hmm. That's not that hard. <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't say that because for some people it genuinely is very difficult, mm-hmm. you know. There's, everyone has different learning capabilities. Yeah. And I've fully respect that but no other time in your life is someone going to be handing you the tools for your success Mm. it's just not going to happen yeah and again I've taught 
K through 12, or, you know, at least in the substitute capacity. And I've taught fully at the university level. And I, I see what happens because I do, I did my best at teaching in the university to do what high school teachers did and hand people the tools to their success. Mm -hmm. But in the, but the difference is at the university level, the students do truly have to reach out and take it as opposed to having it handed to them because they're in the building. Totally. You know, university students have to show up and they have to get out of bed and come to class. Yeah. And Um, you do have to do the work. You know, that brings up something interesting that I think is definitely a huge talking point uh, more recently because we, to make it very concise, I read this article about our generation, essentially, and how we, like, rely on technology so much nowadays, Mm -hmm. which is true. I think that's absolutely true. However, we had a very unique experience because we were literally the beginning of what our technology is today. We grew up without it. Right. And we still grew up with it. I like that about being a millennial because there are like different like subsections of that generation Mm -hmm. and then moving into the next generation where they grew up with technology and they never knew a world without it. Right. But even within millennials, we did like start our education or, you know, grow up without the technology, but we're the ones who have integrated it into our lives. Right. Maybe not to the dependence level of future generations, but again, they didn't have to grow up without it. And right. So we know a world that exists without <laughs> totally. Twitter and Instagram. It's it's a unique place to be in where you remember sticking floppy disks into a computer to yes. learn your typing skills or what have you. Yeah. Well, and then, uh, so I think so much of our toys and things growing up there was no technology with our toys it was Mm -hmm. they were like play sets they were like barbie houses and they were you know they were outdoor games and they were Mm -hmm. you know all the all these things you know maybe we did have a play like cell phone which even then was still like a brick you know (laughs) still mimicking those but a lot of it had to do more with the imagination so yes you were given uh, some sort of manipulative, but what you did with it was totally up to, to you. So you had that Barbie tea set or you had your uh, fire truck, but it didn't light up and make sounds and do yeah. all this other stuff. And it wasn't supposed to teach you about fire safety or, <laughs> totally. or teach you how to, to serve tea. It was just there for play. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so cool. How cool is that, that our generation got to experience... Now, when I say non-technology, it's not like we did not have technology. (laughs) We were back in the Stone Age before (laughs) anything happened. No, but it was, the technology wasn't at our fingertips 24-7. We started prior to that, and then we integrated it and got to see it begin essentially because we still had like computer labs and computer labs that was the highlight playing the Oregon Trail yes the Oregon Trail and it was usually it was only like two days a week or it was like three days a week it wasn't something that we had all the time yeah and you had to like mix it in with like when they put a box over your hands so you'd have to learn typing without staring at your fingers totally which I never mastered oh I loved that oh my gosh it was terrible (laughs) but I think it's so interesting approaching teaching in a school environment nowadays because it has to be so different i mean i think over time granted i'm I'm looking at it from the teacher's teacher's perspective now yeah but it does feel different 
Well, you think about it, you know, lessons evolve and textbooks evolve and all of those things. Mm. But I honestly don't think the core, now I don't know anything about, I, I didn't go to school to be a teacher. So I'm really just talking out of my ass at the moment. <laughs> like I don't have actual experience. But, you know, the fundamentals of setting up a program for your class and, you know, putting a lesson plan together Things like that, just they didn't really change that much, you know, for a mm-hmm. long time. It was just about teaching the material. Mm-hmm. Whereas I feel like now technology has integrated so much in our, into our lives. It's almost like students have to learn differently all of a sudden mm-hmm. because of the influence of technology. There's so many new tactics to like teach people, which is cool because yeah. I think it's drawing attention to the fact that, hey, not everybody learns the same way. By staring at a textbook or exactly. listening to a teacher lecture. Yeah, exactly. Which is really cool. I think that we have evolved so much. It really must throw a whole different element into teaching because we're so used to having the answer right at our fingertips all the time. Yeah. We rely, no, we do, we rely on technology so much to solve our problems. Yeah. Whereas in a school setting, it's all you. It's definitely brought some new elements of teaching into, to the front at least. And it varies whether you're teaching like a high school class or an elementary class, you know, because elementary school students, lots of, lots of schools have gone one-to-one with computers or tablets or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so they can practice coding on their computers in third grade. Yeah. Or in high school, if you're sitting in a history class and you have to write a research paper, you can learn research databases sitting in the classroom as yeah. opposed to having to figure them out on your own at home or going to the library or something. That, I, I struggled with that doing research for papers in high school because it wasn't something that was taught or, or yeah. thoroughly explained, you know, how do you search out resources for a paper that you're writing. Yeah. Something that's really important in college. (laughs) (laughs) I discovered (laughs) and learned for myself. Did you ever think you were gonna teach K through twelve ish area? I definitely didn't think I was gonna teach K through twelve. Mom reminds me of that a lot. (laughs) 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 Moving back home and and subbing in the schools and. Uh, she's asked, are you going to get a teaching license or get your full subbing license so you can do, you know, maternity leaves and whatnot? And I've told her no, just because I I, I still don't think that it's the place for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but she kind of sees it as, well, you didn't think you were going to teach at all anyway. And, you know, uh-huh. here. Totally. Um, but I, I still don't see that as where I perform best. And I know that there are phenomenal teachers out there, and that is that is where they perform best. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to mess that up for, <laughs> yeah. for the students coming through the school. I, you can wait and you can have Mrs. Lopez. Her field yes. is foreign language. <laughs> and you can take me in college. Yes. <laughs> because that's where I, I perform. And that's where I get students to perform their best too. Listeners don't necessarily know your path. You went out of high school. Did you feel like you knew what you wanted? When did you feel like you knew what you wanted to do post high school? I knew what I wanted to do when I was, I want to say 14. Really? Um, that early? Because if you did, I for, I didn't know. <laughs> I was, I was thinking about this in prep for this, and I was like, I don't remember her really being 
outwardly confident in like what she was she was like this is what I'm gonna do with my life I know there were things that you were great at and there were things you excelled at and you wanted to do all the time but yeah so that I I think I've talked to my, with my husband about that because I that happens a lot when people say wow I had no idea that you were so into this you know yeah like mm-hmm. I did I danced all through college yeah. and people who knew me in college were shocked to find that out oh you dance I've been dancing since I was three. Right. I don't know these things about me. Um, and I think to bring our conversation kind of back around, I think that comes back to like a stereotype of an oldest child. There's a lot of fear of failure that's associated, mm, that totally. I associate with being the oldest child. You know, I have to set, or I feel like I have to set the bar. Yeah. And so I cannot fail. I, I probably didn't talk about it until I was ready to graduate high school. <laughs> I, I was so terrified that like if I told someone and it didn't happen, then it, it would all come back on me as yeah. failure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I started taking foreign language uh, in middle school, which for an American is more or less average. Yeah, in if high even, school. If even yeah. a little early. Yeah. Because um, I started in seventh grade. But for the rest of the world is very late. Right very late, uh, in non-English speaking countries, that yeah. is, um, to not start a foreign language until you're 12 is wild. Right. But I loved it. It's, it's a very psychologically pleasing thing to me to be able to understand other people and to relate to them. Mm, yeah. Um, and to be able to share their stories and have them share their stories with me. And I, I just love that. So I attacked it. And did everything I could to, like you said, I t- my senior year was Spanish 4, French 2, and German 1. Because mm-hmm. I just loved it so much. Uh, and my first goal, like I figured out this out when I was 14, was I was going to be an interpreter. Because right. I loved being that bridge. I had I set this lofty goal of interpreting at the United Nations because mm-hmm. I thought it was virtuous and very prestigious. Oh, yeah. That kind of changed when I got to college. I started changing my mind a little bit just about the role that I could play. Finished the degree anyway. I did a very specific degree in interpretation and translation. Mm-hmm. And that specific degree is why I went to the school that I went to mm-hmm. because I wanted that. I didn't want a generic Spanish degree or uh, even a teaching degree, right. which mom also asked me about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> add a teaching certificate because it's not that easy mother (laughs) and I am singularly focused on what I want to do Mm -hmm. until it wasn't there it just kind of changed and I thankfully did end up adding uh, a second major and a couple minors just to kind of round it out and give me something to play with and then I went out and worked as an interpreter uh, not in the prestigious United Nations but (laughs) in a dental practice interpreting for their patients decided it wasn't for me. So it was really your dental job that changed it for you? Or do you think it happened prior? I think that the shift had kind of started already, especially because I knew that I, I knew going in that medical interpretation wasn't the interpreting that I wanted to be doing. Mm. And I also didn't want to be in the courts. Uh, I wanted to interpret for companies or political organizations or, Mm -hmm. or something along those lines. Working in the dental practice kind of solidified that for me, ah. that this is not what I want to do. After I left that, I was a little lost, fortunately. I had a professor 
who offered me a graduate assistantship back at the same university to do a master's in span uh, in education with an emphasis in Spanish. Mm-hmm. So it's a master of arts in education. And you were attending the University of Nebraska at Kearney. Yes. Because I realized we didn't state that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, went to uh, UNK uh, for that program for my undergrad mm-hmm. and then ended up sticking around and doing a master's there as well. And, and you got a full scholarship, right? Uh, yeah. For your undergrad, right? For undergrad, yeah. I got the full tuition scholarship um, and then applied and got accepted to their honors program and had a heart-to-heart with the director <laughs> and told him that I was broke. Uh, is there was there anything he could do to help me and he uh, graciously granted me funds from the honors program to cover my dorm room for all four years that I was there wow entering college did you feel like you were ever someone who really wanted to ask for help like from mom and dad as financially speaking no all right, good talk. Um, <laughs> um, well, I, again, it probably comes back to that fear of failure thing. Being the oldest, I was very prideful, for lack of a better term, in wanting to prove to myself and anyone else, really no one but myself, that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of freedom that came with that, too. You know, not having to, obviously, I was five hours from home, so like I couldn't go home and do laundry every right. weekend. Right, yeah. But there was, there was definitely some freedom in knowing I'm doing it on my own. Yeah. See, see I'm the same way. I hate asking for help, especially when it comes to finances. There were so many times that I was so glad because I didn't really, I, I didn't ask really for financial help from mom and dad, like through college and things like that. I mean, they like co-signed loans for me, but it, they weren't giving me money, you know, week to week, month to month, that kind of thing. I hated ever asking for help financially or anything like that. So I, I get the pride thing. But I also agree completely. It, it did make me feel more independent. It made me feel like an adult. Yeah. Even if I was broke and had no money, I al- almost was okay with it because I was like, well, I'm a poor college student and it is what it is. So at college, you kind of have had this shift of what you wanted to do. Back to school to get your master's. And this was post, you know, the dental job, right? All this stuff. You had worked in a coffee shop your entire schooling when you were there for four years. And it wasn't even, and when I say coffee shop, I don't mean like Starbucks with coffee bean and places (laughs) like that. A very homegrown coffee shop. It is. It was a very, yes, it was, I, I associated it with you. That grew a whole different love in your life. Yeah. Definitely. You became this coffee connoisseur, <laughs> and you did tons with it. I mean, you would never, I think, you know, when you first told me, you were like, oh, yeah, I started working at a coffee shop. I was like, okay. Yeah. That's just like, okay, yeah, it's a job that you get when you're in college, or, you know, whatever yeah. it might be. <laughs> you're, like, you're either working at a coffee shop or you work in a bar. Exactly. <laughs> you're either up in the morning or you're every night at night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But it turned into a whole lot more for you. It was so much more. I think about it when I, like, update my resume, or, you know, because I have separate resumes. I have one for, like, my academic, yeah, uh, my academic life, and then I have one that's all my professional stuff, which is, like, 95% coffee. (laughs) Because I did. I worked there for the four years of my undergrad, and then I I worked there on the weekends even when I was working at the dental practice, 
and there was another year there, and then I did two more years of working there while I was doing my master's. Mm -hmm. So by the time I left that one coffee shop, I had been there for seven years. Right. And the only reason I left is because I moved abroad. I moved to Ireland and got a job working in coffee uh -huh. again. And even and before that, I mean, I had gone to a national conference. I had gone to uh, a trade show in Nashville. I had gone as part of my study abroad experiences in Costa Rica. I had gone to Coffee Origin. Both those trips got to go to coffee cons. Mm -hmm. To work in coffee again. Yeah. <laughs> you also didn't like coffee prior to this. No, I didn't drink coffee when I got hired. I probably lied in the interview. I don't know. It <laughs> <laughs> was almost 10 years ago now. Yeah, it was very specific, but it just opened this whole world of the industry that I didn't even know existed. <laughs> yeah, it's something that I feel like you just, if you aren't in that world, you have no idea. Like, yeah. what? Outside of your Starbucks routine or, you know, whatever right. it is, like you the don't common know. Person, the common person doesn't realize that there is an international coffee event that happens every year. At this coffee event, <laughs> there are competitions to see who is the world's best barista or the world's best coffee roaster or the world's best, best coffee brewer. Because, and all of those things sound exactly the same to me because I'm not, yeah. you know, versed in it. <laughs> exactly. But you're not the person who stands at the coffee bar and listens while the barista tell you, tells you what altitude their coffee was grown at. <laughs> Absolutely. No, that's not me. I mean, I'll listen. If they want to tell me that, I will listen to them. Yeah. And I'll go, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> that'll be the end of that. It brought a lot of opportunities for you and gave you a whole other avenue to put so much passion in. And that is something, honestly, I've always loved because whatever you did, and maybe that's the oldest child syndrome thing that we're talking about, but it was all, it was all of you. There was never... Yes. And there was never a time really that I remember that you like half-assed something. I mean, there probably was, but you know, a path that you wanted to take all in. It was always whole ass. It was whole ass every time. <laughs> every time. That was what was so cool is because you had genuine enthusiasm about what you were doing or genuine passion about it. Yeah. Which was so, which made it interesting, which made me able to sit and listen to you talk about mm -hmm. the altitude at which coffee your is coffee is grown. <laughs> but that was never something that, I mean, it's some passion is not a word that I would have used to describe myself back in high school. I enjoyed things. But I, I didn't consider myself, you know, like fanatically involved with anything. Mm -hmm. My bosses at this coffee shop <laughs> used to tell me like how much passion I had for, for the things that I did. Hmm. And it, it and she expressed the same thing that, you know, nothing I did was ever halfway. Mm -hmm. it, but passion was just never the word that came to mind. Huh. Do you think that is genuinely, when you think about that in yourself, do you think you have the drive to do something perfectly just to say that you can do it perfectly? Or do you think it's genuinely something that you are passionate about and that you want to do well at? Like, Yeah, so you're asking about whether it's, it's the discipline to do it perfectly or the passion to do it at all. Yes. I think it's a little of both, but I, and I say it's a little of both, not at the same time. Like, back in high school, it was probably the former, the pursuit of some perfect. And now, I see I see the, the good or the progress or the effort as better than perfect. And so just doing something, doing something, doing something worthwhile and doing it well, 
is better than doing one thing perfectly. Yeah. For the sake of doing it perfectly. Okay, so now we're at this point where you have worked in this coffee shop, you now have your master's degree, you're all done with school, but this opportunity, and I still remember the day that you called me and told me that you were going to apply for this job in Ireland. I think I told you first. I think you told me first, yeah. It's another one of those fear of failure things that I got this idea, like, crawling around in the back of my head not to tell it to anybody because that makes it real. Exactly. And if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be really disappointed. I'm the same exact way. Like, if I have an audition, yeah. if I have things like that, I never tell anybody about it. Because if I don't get it, then I didn't let anybody down. Right. Because I don't care. Like, if I don't get it, okay, great, on to the next, whatever. But it's that, oh, I don't want to let anybody down. Yeah. I don't want to seem like a failure or like I can't do what I want to do to somebody else because I'm still at a point in my life where I care about what other people think of me. Yeah. So always it fuels so much of my life still. Right. But you call, you were telling me about this job in Ireland mm-hmm. and me going, okay, you are married, mm-hmm. which we'll come. We haven't really talked about Tony at all, but yeah. we'll we'll get to him. Um, <laughs> he's in there. He's the last piece of the puzzle. Sorry, Tony. <laughs> um, you gotta listen to the whole thing to get to your part. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, you're married at yeah. this point. You're done with school. It seems like you do kind of have an idea, maybe, of what you want to do with your life. Maybe, even though maybe you feel a little lost post-dental stuff, post changing a little bit of your view on what you want to do, this opportunity kind of comes out of nowhere. And the way that you presented it and talked about it with me, it still felt very like, I'm going to apply for it, but probably the odds of me actually doing this are are very slim. Well, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Although... It was mostly because I didn't think anybody was going to hire me. Right, yeah. Who's was going to hire this American who's only going to be there for one year. Right. And I don't know anybody. Mm -hmm. But also, you've traveled... At this point in your life, you've done tons of traveling. Yeah. At least in my eyes, you've done tons of traveling. Maybe to a well-versed traveler, you haven't... (laughs) Very much. But, you know, you've been to other countries, you've been, you've done a good amount of traveling. Way more than I ever have. Me, honestly, probably thinking in the back of my mind, if she goes, then I can go visit her. And I want to go to Ireland. There was probably a little bit of selfishness in that for me, too. But I'm pretty sure that I told you from the beginning. I was like, this is so cool, do this. Yeah. And there were a lot Which of reservations. You. <laughs> well, of course. Because let's be real, you probably knew what I was going to say when yeah. you called me. And I'm sure there were a million fears going through. Because probably one of the biggest is you are married. Yeah. That's a whole other person that you have to think about in this decision. And yeah. at, the, at the point you called me, you still hadn't, I don't think, mentioned it to Tony that you were going to apply. No. How did you go about making that decision? Or was it that you didn't fully make a decision until maybe they were like, okay, we're going to hire you? Yeah, it was, it felt very exploratory for a long time. And then as, once they responded, liked me and liked my resume, and it became obvious that they were thinking seriously about it, I had to think seriously about it and talk to Tony and say, this isn't a career move for me. But this is an experience that I want to have, and I don't know if or when another experience like this will ever happen. Right. I can't say no to it mm-hmm. if this happens. If, if it does 
does work out. Mm -hmm. So just to lay it out for everybody, the job was a year in Ireland. Yes. And it was to open up a new, I always describe it as like a restaurant, coffee, shop, pub. (laughs) It was like a mixture. Yeah, it's a, they would call it a gastropub. So you'd have, you know, the Irish pub vibe in the front and, but there's definitely a a full restaurant with a different kitchen in the back and you had top of the line coffee. And it was elegant. There was an elegant. Extremely well done. Yes. Because I, disclaimer, I did go and visit her. (laughs) Um, And I went into the, because I was like, okay, I got to come see this place that brought her all the way out here. Yeah. And it's beautiful on the inside. I mean, it. It's beautiful. It is elegance. I also don't have any frame of reference of what European restaurants look like. So, but I thought it was truly beautiful on the inside. And you can see into the kitchen. It's like open, but not yeah. like in a trashy way, like pizza joints or something that you could like yeah. watch them make a pizza. This was, it was elegant and a full bar in the front. Yeah. And so it was a year there to help open this place. Yeah. Moved out there first week of July, and the restaurant opened, I want to say, like, by the second week of August. So we had some training before that, but mm-hmm. I, I did have probably a good two, two and a half weeks just kind of hanging out before anything before really anything started. started. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately, at that time, I didn't have a car and didn't know anything about where I was. Right. So a lot of exploring happened just on foot. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, if I took the bus, I could go down to Cork or mm-hmm. something. Or Which is terrifying. I hope, uh, I hope mom didn't really realize how much wandering that you probably did at the beginning because yeah. she would have lost her mind. Yeah. Even probably listening to this now, sure. It'll probably give her anxiety. Um, <laughs> because she's always so concerned about us going and being on our own and wandering places that yes. we may not know. But as all mothers should. <laughs> but oh, yeah. That truly, I mean, was there fear? I mean, of course there's probably fear, but I mean, was it ever overwhelming fear? Uh, there were a couple times. Yeah, there. Uh, I distinctly remember getting to the airport in New York and checking my bag, and there was an issue with, you know, because you get your personal item and your carry-on, mm-hmm. and I did not read thoroughly enough the carry-on guidelines, and so the carry-on that I had brought was too large. Mm-hmm. And international flights, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. Well, you can kind of get away with a big carry-on uh, here when you're flying around yeah. the U.S. It was, yeah, it was partially that it was international, it was partially the airline itself mm-hmm. had its own regulations, uh, which I did not pay attention to. And so I ended up having to check my carry-on, and so all I had was this small personal item getting through the next hours yeah. well, including my including my wait time to get through security uh-huh. and my you know my layovers and whatnot to finally get into Cork was uh-huh. my final destination was Cork. You flew into Cork originally, not Dublin. I did, yeah, I flew oh, into okay. Cork originally because it was closer. <laughs> no, right, right. <laughs> and less chance of me screwing it up. <laughs> um, but I checked the care uh, checked the carry-on bag and the fear set in that this was really happening, that my bags were now on their way to Europe <laughs> with or without me. Uh-huh. And so before going through security, I, I checked my bags and I walked over to like a big pillar 
that was by the entrance, because, you know, this airport had, like, there were all these big pillars <laughs> all over the place. I walked to the other side of it. I was probably right in front of the window, and anyone passing by could see me, but I was out of view of the people in the airport, and that was what was important to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I called my dad and said, I don't know if I can do this. I was terrified, even thinking about yeah. it now, like, mm-hmm. brings back this fear that I was doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. And he kind of talked me down a little bit uh-huh. and said, you know, this is... That's right. very good at that. Yeah. yeah. And I went through security. I got to my gate. And I was sitting there. I probably had, you know, an hour and a half to kill. And then they called boarding. And it started to set in again. Oh, no. And at this moment, I was like, okay, this one, you're going to do it on your own. Mm. And you're not going to call anybody. You're... <laughs> Actually, no, that's not true. I think I fought that, and then I threw that out the window. (laughs) (laughs) I think I did end up calling Tony and saying, I don't know about this. Uh Um, Maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly, but I definitely remember thinking, you know, your bags are going to Europe, but you don't have to turn around and walk out of the airport, and Cody will come pick you up. That's true, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I did it, and I got on a plane. And I slept. <laughs> then I landed in Cork, and that was when my my very logical brain just took over and said, you know, you had your freakouts on the other side of the pond, like that's not gonna happen right now, hmm. and you're gonna get your bags. And so my brain just started like laying out these next steps, these these problems. Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna get your bags, or both your bags, mm-hmm. <laughs> because you have to check both of them. <laughs> you're gonna get both your bags. You're going to find the ticket office for the airport. You're going to purchase your ticket. You're going to get on the right bus. You're going to go to the right place. You're going to... And then it was just uh-huh. next and next and next. Yeah. And that's it. Rolling through the Irish countryside. And I looked out the window and thought, why would I ever want to miss this? Mm. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. I didn't know that story. Do you... Uh, listening to that, you, you're definitely more of a logical person than I am. Like you said, you lay things out and you go, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step to the bigger picture? Yeah. Were you thinking about your bigger picture at that, at that time? Maybe before when you were deciding to go, were you thinking about the bigger picture when you were making the decision to go about, you know, is this actually going to help me you know, in my career, or is this just something that I want to do, and it sounds great, and it sounds fun? Were there times when you were there that you felt like, oh, I'm not, I'm actually not working towards my career? Like, I, I, did you ever feel guilty at all being there? And, you know, away from your husband. I'm sure there was probably guilt and stuff from that, too, being away. Career-wise, did you ever feel like that? Definitely. There was a lot of guilt associated, not just professionally, but like you said, I was away from my husband. I felt like I just got one long European vacation <laughs> and then got to come back and my life was still there. You know, I didn't have to start over when I came back, which did make me feel very guilty. A lot of times, I won't say all the time, just because it's not true. Yeah, I d- you know, there, kissing the Barney Stone, I don't feel guilty about doing that or celebrating St. Patrick's Day. Yeah. Yeah. Which, disclaimer, that's when my brother and I came to visit her in Ireland. (laughs) We made sure we were going to be there for St. Patrick's Day. Absolutely. I mean, there's... But professionally, it was not a career move. Mm -hmm. At least that's not the way I sold it. I didn't didn't talk it up as, you know, I'm going to launch a career 
from this job because I'm not. It was for the experience and looking back on it and looking at how I've shaped my career path now, I could I can honestly say now it's more of a career shaper than I thought it was going to be when I decided to do it. Why is that? I think it's because I changed the direction of my career path. I no longer wanted to be an interpreter and being an educator or being a teacher even at the college level, wasn't where my passion was anymore either. And so coming back from Ireland, I, I kept thinking, you know, I had such a phenomenal experience. How do I turn that into a career or leverage it into a new position or something? And I kept coming back to this idea of international education or study abroad or my trips with my marching band, you know, yeah. over to Europe when I was in college. And thinking that's those kind of experiences, while they're done for me, I'm never going to have those opportunities again. Mm -hmm. I want to make them available to the next generation. Yeah. And that was how I could leverage my year abroad in Ireland into a career. Mm. I've done it. Yeah, I've done the immigration process. I have dealt with culture shock. I know how to buy and sell a car and how to how to purchase insurance and you know how to buy a phone and set up internet and all these things because I had to do it for myself. Mm -hmm. I am a planner. And <laughs> I can make that I can make truly amazing experiences for other people while still doing what I love. Mm -hmm. Well, that's cool that you made it more like a career even though it maybe wasn't originally. Oh, it 100% was not <laughs> originally. But now I can twist it around and say... <laughs> but it was. I have these experiences. <laughs> now let me give them to other people. So I want to go back for just a second and chat about the wonderful man, Tony. It's time for him. You met what year of college? My junior year. Your junior year, right? So 2012. Okay. And he was done. He was finishing. Oh, he was finishing. Yeah. We met on December 1st, and I think he graduated the next week. Wow. Really? Okay. Now, this... Correct me if I'm wrong. Did you know... Was it like you had mutual friends, or was it like you knew of him, or he knew of you? How was that? Because I can't quite remember. It's all the friends. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we ran in similar circles. So he was in a fraternity. My first serious relationship in college was with one of his fraternity brothers. And so we knew a lot of the same people. Mm -hmm. And we had been friends on Facebook, even though we hadn't met yet. <laughs> but we it was kind of a friend of a friend of a friend. And we didn't meet like through anyone. It was <laughs> we were out at the same bar and happened to see each other and both realized that we didn't know each other, but we needed to meet each other that night. You know how you get like a little liquid courage and someone who's vaguely familiar to you, you feel like you should have a conversation yeah, with? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you meet this person, and did you guys start dating right away? More or less, yeah. And there was no friend zone to move out of. Right. There was no, there yeah. Was. So you guys started dating, and I feel like you brought him home fairly early on to the relationship. Yeah, within six months, because we started dating in December, mm -hmm. and I, I know for a fact, in fact, with me for Alicia, and that would have been in April. Mm. Okay. 
first time that he came home, mm -hmm. but I don't know, he was five months into the relationship. So that was the first time he came because I honestly, the story with the napkin is I thought oh, yeah. that was the first time I met him, but he was there at alone at he, the house, which is such a bold move. You think <laughs> about this, it's very early on into a relationship in the grand scheme of things. Yes, but looking back, were you really surprised? Looking back, absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not. Yeah, so that must have been the first time. I, I wasn't there for that. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, I think we had maybe talked, like, over FaceTime with the yeah. family and things like that. So Tony came to the house and stayed with us just one night, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, he stayed at the house. It was the first time I would met him. Mom had repeatedly told me to get him a pillow. It was getting late at night, and we were kind of all deciding to go to bed. And he was sleeping on the couch downstairs. And mom brought, you know, her normal, she brought probably a comforter and sheets and all this stuff. Everything. But there were pillows upstairs in our bathroom closet. And she told me several times, Andrea, please go get him a, a pillow. Please don't, before you go to bed, get him a pillow. And we were just downstairs watching TV. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, okay, okay, okay. And long story short, as the night unfolded and I decided to go to bed, I, alas, never got him a pillow. <laughs> so I completely forgot about it. And in the morning, I awoke to a little note. And Tony was long gone because mm -hmm. he's a morning person and he gets up and he goes. And I awake to find a note on a napkin, probably like a subway napkin, <laughs> knowing our family, um, that just said, Andrea, thanks for the pillow. I slept on this napkin instead. <laughs> and I, A, felt so horrible <laughs> because I didn't get him a pillow. And B, was so, I just applauded his humor so much. <laughs> and that was the first interaction I had with him. So after that, you know, we, you guys obviously, how long did you date before you got engaged? Uh, 11 months. 11 months. Yeah. And there was, a, I, feel, I feel a little bad for being so specific, but like, <laughs> we met on December 1st and we were dated for 11 months. It's only because, like, the dates are just burned into my memory because of, like, their specificity. Like, if it were, you know, we met on June 14th, mm. I, I'd never remember yeah. that. It was the events around those <laughs> dates yes. that, that make the date stand out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> You dated for 11 months, and yeah. I know that Tony hates this story, and I'm not really, it's not really a story, it's just I'm not really going to tell it, but there was a conversation, there was a point where you thought, maybe I don't want to be with this person. Yes. Yes. And I remember because you told me about it. Did I? Yes. I was the only one that you told about it, because you were visiting home, and you were basically going to do it on the drive back. Essentially. Oh yeah, that was that was the Visha weekend. That was the Visha weekend. That was the Visha weekend. Yes. Okay, I understand. You told me about it, and I don't know if I really gave any kind of advice. I don't know if I said you know, great, or if I said no, or whatever it might be. But in this car ride, Tony managed whatever he was talking about to basically completely change your mind. Yeah. Right. I was very non-confrontational. Mm -hmm. So I was going to be very just passive on the drive home. And I think Tony sensed that 
decided to be confrontational. Because Tony really doesn't have an issue to bring things up. He does. He when it's, when appropriate, he will speak up. Mm-hmm. It was appropriate then. Mm-hmm. And it was important. So he he changed your mind essentially. And then and it was instant. It like it was bizarre because I went in the course of that car ride from I don't want to be in this relationship anymore to I'm going to be in this relationship for the rest of my life. Wow. Oh, it was then. It was then. Wow. Wow. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was the point that you were like, yes, I'm going to be with this person. Yes. And it it was very unsettling to me too, because like you said, I'm a logical person Mm -hmm. and that was not logical. That 180 happened. And so, but, but to me that it ended up being logical because (laughs) to take that 180 and say, this is the person, my brain just basically said, okay. (laughs) (laughs) because it was saying well if that's the way you feel then that's it there's no other course of action Ah, and so you know like the the logical Mm -hmm. part was like well okay then that's yeah okay so at that point you know a few more months pass and if i'm being honest post that interaction Mm. was that my senior year in high school yes yeah that's right because i was like i was home post that trip that you guys came back for Visha, mm-hmm. I, I knew that something had changed. Mm-hmm. And I knew that this was like a permanent thing. Just by the way that you, well, A, would, you know, talk about him, but also just how permanent things felt when I would talk to both of you or when I, you know, that it was definitely, this is it. So he proposed and he, to this day, is your husband. Yes. <laughs> As of now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't actually know that much about how you are in a relationship. I don't know the inner workings of you very much. I think that's honestly the biggest piece of you that maybe I don't have a huge glimpse into because I know how you are. I mean, I know who you are as a person, mm-hmm. so I can maybe draw some conclusions, but I'm I want to know more about how this relationship has maybe changed you or how you view relationships pre and post being married? I don't know if I can answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I don't know. I think I wasn't in many relationships before I met Tony. When it clicked with him, that it just, something settled. It felt like I didn't have to work at being someone who's in a relationship. And it was just, I am myself, and I am myself with this person, and together we have a marriage. It's all very abstract and very <laughs> not how I normally do things. I like things to be very orderly and very explicit. Something that's that surprised me because I was 21 when we met. Definitely didn't know who I was. <laughs> <laughs> but whoever I was back then was attractive and, <laughs> and pleasing to this other person. And so now that we've been married for almost four and a half years he still likes me and I still like him <laughs> even though I think we're, we're different people than when we met yeah um you know not in a massive you know way that that it makes me very happy and very comfortable future with this person that I've chosen because 
we aren't the same as when we met, but we are still the same to each other. How did you view relationships and things like that growing up? Relationships and marriages and... Because I, I don't know if I would consider you... I don't think I would use the word rom you're a romantic to describe you. Not necessarily that you're not romantic. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, you know the people who are like, oh, I'm a true romantic at heart. Or I don't know if I would use that to describe you. I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't. Um, I don't know. I lots of people talk about their love languages. And yeah, I don't, I don't really know mine. I'm oh, you should do it. You I should take the should. test when we get done with this. We're gonna take the test. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, episode two will be her love language test results. <laughs> no, I, I wouldn't consider myself a romantic. But you asked how I like viewed other relationships? Or well, I was just curious how growing up you viewed relationships and marriage and being in a relationship. Because I, if I were to put money on it, I think we viewed relationships and marriage differently growing up. Because I know how I am. Probably. Yeah, I, I think I was pretty cautious when it came to relationships. Failure. <laughs> That's the theme. My, life. <laughs> my life's theme is that I am afraid to fail <laughs> in relationships and professionally and everything else. Um, no, but there, you know, marriages that didn't work out were around. Unhappy marriages were around, and I didn't want to have unhappiness be the center of my life. Mm. You know, if. If the marriage was the center of my life, which it's it's not for lots of people, you know, some people don't get married, and yeah, or you know, some people have a different kind of marriage. But mm -hmm. for for me, the you know, marriage was going to be my marriage and my family was going to be the main part of my life. Mm. And if that didn't bring me happiness, it was wrong. And so I maybe I do strive for perfection <laughs> <laughs> because I I wanted to find that perfect. Not that I was out like pursuing all potential people <laughs> in that pursuit of happiness mm -hmm. that was a core do you feel like do you think mom and dad's marriage really like do you feel like that influenced you I mean I'm, I'm sure of course it, it does as it does for anyone but when you view marriage and you view relationships and being with someone for the rest of your life our child and seeing how much focus they put on our childhoods and our happiness and it was definitely there, like, in my life. And other family relationships, too. Like, with our, my mom's parents and dad's parents. Because mm -hmm. they had different marriages from each other than from our parents. Yeah. And I want to bring up another different topic, but I want to round out this little topic first. Because I think... We've had a very you and you and I have I've always described us when I talk when I try to explain like our relationship to other people. Um, <laughs> Why? Because we like each other. Yeah, <laughs> which apparently is a weird thing. I don't get that, but we're so you and me are so different, but we're so alike in so many ways, mm -hmm. and I think we share a lot of the same values, mm -hmm. but we just live our lives differently and I think that is something that's so interesting to me because we were so close growing up which isn't always the case you know sometimes siblings get closer as they're like adults and older and they feel like they have their shit together a little bit yeah. but but it's not it's a lot of the times not the case that they really got along as children mm -hmm. and we did yeah we got along so well I wanted to be near you all the time and I wanted to do what you did 
and you were so good at everything, so I wanted to mimic you, and and we, we shared a bedroom for how many years in our first house, so we, yeah, so we were always together, and, you know, dad always told the story of when dad was a stay-at-home dad, when I was still there, not in school yet, but the amount of time I would spend asking him when he would, when I would ask dad, you know, when is Stephanie going to be home? I would go stand by the front door and wait for you to come home mm-hmm. because I couldn't wait. You were gone too long. <laughs> and then Ethan came along and changed the dynamic, but we were still very close. I, I wanted to wear your clothes and, and I wanted to... When we moved to our new house and we weren't sharing a bedroom anymore, that was the worst for me. <laughs> and the amount of time that I still slept in your room in our new house. Yeah. Because I hated being away from you. That's not always the case for people. And I feel like because we were so close, we've watched each other meticulously mm-hmm. through every phase of our lives. You know practically everything about me. You know where all the bodies are buried. You know mm-hmm. where... And I think communication was so ingrained in us as children, too, that I never hesitated to come to you. And Mm -hmm. I don't think you hesitated that much to come to me through any phase of our lives. Do you feel like you... Do you ever think about our childhood and think, oh, I wish I had done this, or I wish I had done this for me and Ethan? Or do you ever think about that, or maybe... Or is it all just mostly happy? For the most part, it's happy. Being the oldest, I was the first to leave. And right. so, I mean, with you and I only being three years apart, I missed some things in high school. Um, and But then, especially for Ethan, us being seven years apart, I missed a lot of his later childhood. Unreal. <laughs> Seeing him as, like, a human man, male adult. Yes. It's so strange. And he is still the, like, toe-head little boy. Yes. No, so there's, I mean, there's some presents that I wish I could have given. Um, but I, I think that's that's part of life. We weren't triplets. No. <laughs> and you and I weren't twins. No. <laughs> it's inevitable. <laughs> that we're going to miss them. Yes. All right, I want to shift a little bit as kind of the last thing that I want to talk to you about. Because... This has really become more present, I think, at least for me, that I've seen in the last, you know, five, five years, or maybe less than that, especially prominent in the last, like, two, three years. And I feel like this passion has grown in you for women and maybe how we're viewed and, you know, the topics of women's rights and the topics of women in the workplace, how we stereotype or how we're moving forward and evolving with some of the women's issues Mm -hmm. nowadays I know (laughs) the past like few months that you've been living at home now I know you and dad have definitely had big conversations about these kinds of things yeah but I want I want to know some of the big things that are like really you feel like you are passionate about or maybe things that you've discovered and like books that you've read that have shaped maybe the way that you think about this and maybe what kind of stands have evolved since you were an adolescent or you know or just in college or whenever it might be yeah so I I think my mindset has I don't say my mindset my my mind has been 
opened to new things that I didn't think were necessarily necessarily available to me. Not so much in like my career path. Working in the coffee industry, I, I worked for a woman for most of my time. Yeah. Um, while I was there. And um, not just a woman, like a an independent, fierce, yeah. work-for-yourself woman. Yeah. And in, in, even into my later career, later getting back into education, um, my office is all women. The office that I work for are all women. Nice. Academically speaking, like professionally speaking, I didn't. Haven't seen a huge shift because I, I I'm not in a field or an industry that's dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Um, Why well, I, I am, but I haven't been in those situations yeah. to be you know in a room that's all men, mm-hmm. um, which I think is fantastic and by no means the norm. Yeah, um, but I have seen a change in myself just in what I can accomplish outside of my work hours. A lot of that comes back to how I my health and because I started weightlifting mm-hmm. with my with my boyfriend at the time my freshman year in college and it was something that I didn't even realize that I had shied away from until mm. I started it and started getting into it and started enjoying it I thought I just had to run and some of that comes back to you know body image issues and self-esteem yeah. which I, I wouldn't say I suffered from in any great way in high school um, or in college, but it it was always there, mm-hmm. and so I thought I had to run a ton, eat all the salads, and yes. <laughs> whatnot, uh-huh. to, to, to be this ideal woman person, mm-hmm. um, and then when I started weightlifting, that kind of changed, and then I got into CrossFit, saw how strong some of the women were. leveraged some of my abilities as a dancer and a gymnast Mm, to my advantage, which I didn't think I could do because dancing was always this very feminine thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And here I was using, because I had great balance, I had moderate levels of agility and and passable levels of grace. (laughs) But now I, you know, since leaving CrossFit about two years ago, two years ago, I, about three years ago, uh, more or less leaving CrossFit and designing a strength program that is built for me uh, with a couple different personal trainers um, and seeing how my body changed. Um, so now I have these like big shoulders and I have like big biceps and I have like, st- you know, strong quads, which I didn't really notice them coming in. But mm-hmm. now that I, s- I see them and I see, <laughs> I see me, a woman with these things and I think, Women have these things. It's not like a man's thing to have muscles. Yes. And that was, it was just like this thing that clicked in my brain that like, I am a woman. I look like this. Therefore, women look like this. Yeah. So that, that kind of spilled over into other areas of my life. Like, I like to rock climb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I am a woman and I rock climb. Therefore, women rock climb. Like, I'm not the only one out there doing this. Yeah. You know, I am a woman, and I'm tending bar in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Therefore, women tend bar. Like it was, it, yeah. It's not that I needed to see someone else in these things for me to make it okay, for me to see that it was okay for women to have these things. It was that I just had to go do it for myself. <laughs> and not that I have to go be and do every single thing under the sun, but, like, you know, building up the momentum of seeing myself in a couple of these 
things just because. And it's not like I went and like sought these things out. Like I didn't start weightlifting because I wanted to be really muscular. Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing myself as these people or with these traits kind of like knocked down this whole notion that like women can't or shouldn't do things. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Women can and shouldn't <laughs> do everything. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even a belief that I realized I was holding onto that this like yeah. this thought that women maybe can't do some things. Mm-hmm. That's ridiculous. I am curious because growing up, like you said, we were always dancing, doing gymnastics, things like that, who were, which are stereotypically more female led sports or activities but when you started doing things like crossfit and stuff it didn't seem out of the ordinary for me watching you i was like oh totally yeah (laughs) for sure It, it, it wasn't something that i was like whoa she's doing what yeah that's so because it wasn't something you'd done before really it was just i don't know it was something new that you took on it was like that time you had a pixie cut it was just like something else that you did you know and I was like yeah cool great and I think that honestly so much of your work doing that because I didn't you you considered maybe doing training and or like being a trainer at some point didn't you too yeah I don't think that was something that was so out of your element I think once you just started doing it you were like yes this has been in me too and physical fitness has been in you this whole time yeah you just didn't realize I didn't know what made me happy Mm -hmm. like I said I thought I thought running was the thing that was going to make me look a certain way or yeah whatever but I did not enjoy it at all I hate running that's (laughs) the worst but I found that I really like to pick up heavy things Mm, yeah and I really like to walk on my hands (laughs) that was all I needed was something that I enjoyed and I, I go to the gym six times a week now mm-hmm. because I'm doing something that I truly enjoy mm-hmm. and I think it's also something that you have it's something that you have control of too I think that's something really great that is one thing that I love about the gym I have complete control over what I do and yeah. whether I go to the gym or not is my choice <laughs> and whatever the consequences be as they may if I do or don't yeah. but it's all up to me which is terrifying and daunting because I have the will of, I have grab will <laughs> when it comes to things like that. But in the end, you have no one to look to except for you. Yeah. And I think that feeds into your personality as well, as you're doing something because you set out to do it. Yeah. And it probably feeds into your, you know, maybe the original, I want to do something perfectly, but also mm-hmm. feeds into... No, I just want to do something that I'm passionate about. Yeah. And it's probably a logical thing, too. It's mm-hmm. something you can control, something you can do, yeah. and see results, and, you know, do those things. Yeah. It also it kept being becoming a bigger part of my life, too, when I started removing the obstacles to it. So, and I, like, I, I became more disciplined in what and how I was doing the gym, you know? I have a dedicated gym bag now, so I'm never like, oh, I don't have this piece of equipment. I guess I can't do this. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it just started working. You know, I always have my gym clothes in the gym bag. Yeah. So I'm never like, well, I need to put on my socks. <laughs> <laughs> and so those things just, like, get in your brain. And the more things that you have that uh, setting you up to do this thing, that maybe isn't as fun going to the gym doesn't mm. sound super fun but the more things that you have set up to make it easier and easier the more it 
effortless to say. Yeah. 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 And it's very logical. It is very logical. <laughs> Fewer obstacles, easier path. <laughs> <laughs> and also, now that you've been, you know, you've spent quite a bit of time internationally, are there different roles that you see women take internationally versus here? I don't mean just specifically in weightlifting or working out or things like that. I mean also in the workplace, you know, how they're viewed and maybe they're ahead or behind or in line with us. Yeah, I don't I don't know that I have, like, the greatest insight on this, but just working in the restaurant where I was, you know, our, you know, the, I mean, our, our owner was a man, but our kind of commander-in-chief, <laughs> the person who was there for the day-to-day things, you know, mm-hmm. she wasn't writing the checks, but she was, yeah, she was definitely in charge, <laughs> uh, was a woman, and oh boy, she was, you know, five foot nothing, but you listened when she spoke, mm. and, and it wasn't because she was overly aggressive either, it was just she was powerful, mm. which was cool, Yeah, and I enjoyed working for her, seeing her get her way, <laughs> always, <laughs> even over like the head chef who was a man, I think it was good to have that visibility, even though, like I said, I, I didn't necessarily mean to see that, but it was empowering nonetheless to, to see it anyway. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else you, or anything you just want to say to have out there mm-hmm. in the world? Yeah, forever. Yeah, because <laughs> it's there. <laughs> oh no. What's your, what's your speck of wisdom to leave everyone? I'm essentially just an amalgamation. <laughs> of little quips and just <laughs> witty banter. It's all eclectic and it just all <laughs> yeah. comes together. I we we should do like a whimsical question round to like finish. A whimsical question? Yeah. Okay. Just like something like the pop culture things are not Avengers or even Game of Thrones. Oh uh, yeah, we can talk about Game of Thrones all day long. Mm-hmm. Which character do you identify with most with? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. <laughs> uh, in Game of Thrones? Yeah. I feel like you have like I, I don't think I do um, that I identify most with. I don't know if I identify most with, but here's the thing. Here's the character that I have that has come most full circle for me mm-hmm. because I hated her at the beginning. I thought she was so annoying. I thought she would like some, just kill her off. It's fine. But I have come to love her so much mm-hmm. is Sansa. And I truly hated her. I thought she was a whiny little girl who just wanted to be a princess. And that's probably pretty true as well, because what little girl doesn't want to be a princess? But she's really come, she's, she's come a long way for me. She really, really has. But I don't know if I identified as much. Okay, you tell me if this is accurate. Okay. I really respect and admire Tyrion. Yes, absolutely. You know, the entire series, he, he's been the only one who survived. It's his brain, and I feel like that's, you know, not common. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten very far without him. So <laughs> yeah. Who I love. I love, 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 love Tyrion. He is definitely in my top characters. Oh, I don't know if I identify. Well, I guess my, like, egotistical but, like, passionate heart, I guess I would, I guess I would Danny. I guess. Mm. But she annoys... Yes, but she annoys the crap out of me sometimes. Like, I do love her, and I think she's so powerful and confident in who and what she is. So I love that about her. Yeah. But there's some ego in there that gets on my nerves. 
Yeah. Um, but it's also, it makes it very relatable, you know? For you have, sure. There, there's so many other characters, like Jon Snow, who's just so honorable. You want to punch him in the face. Yeah. It's like, have a character flaw, yeah. man. Have <laughs> a character flaw, please. <laughs> so Daenerys, yeah, she has some flaws. Yeah, she does, totally. So I think if I were to identify with someone, it'd probably be her the most. But I don't know. I got a lot of minor characters that I just love. Brienne is top for me as well. Love her. And she is busting down stereotypes and barriers every which way. (laughs) It's fantastic. And I do kind of love, oh my gosh, and now I'm forgetting his name. That's so terrible. I do love Tyrion's sidekick, who's now with Cersei now. Oh, Bronn. Bronn. Oh my gosh, wow. That's so terrible. I love him. Because he's just, he is who he is. And he's very fine with it. (laughs) (laughs) And he has survived. Look at him. He has made it to the last season. He has. And you gotta have respect for people like <laughs> who have made it to the last season. God damn. Yeah. So you identify with Tyrion, yeah. He he He's a fave. He expresses a lot more like sarcasm and snappy remarks than mm-hmm. I think I could ever really relate to in my life. Yeah. No matter how much they're going on up here. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think I respect him for that too. I also a little fun fact about Steph is she knows anything and everything about the lives, not the lives, anything and everything about celebrities. There are people who know more, much more than I do. Well, absolutely. But, and what I mean, I don't mean their, like, personal lives. You do, but it's not something that you, like, fascinate yourself with. I'm not a gossip person. Right, right. I mean, she knows the shit that people have been in. I mean, if you're watching a TV show or a movie, mm-hmm. she'd be like, that is so-and-so. Yes. And you're like, they have been in this and this and this and this. And then, and, oh, he's from Croatia. And he is, he worked with this director. And he, remember, he was British in the last movie or whatever it is. Yeah. But you remember everyone. And it's incredible. <laughs> it's so incredible. And I'm pretty good at it. Like, I feel like I recognize a lot of people. Yeah. But I don't actually know. Like, I can't place them and be like, that's their name. Or they're from this place. They're about to star in a new movie that the trailer was just released for. <laughs> or, you know, whatever it might be. I probably just care way more than I should about, like, the little insignificant details. And I, like, both actively and passively collect the information yes. about it. The access. Yes. <laughs> to be able to pull it out like that. It's just, it's incredible. One of your true talents. I has no purpose. <laughs> but that's not true because if I become rich and famous someday and I yeah. bring you along to my parties and you can stand over your shoulder and whisper hello to You me. can be my Anne Hathaway. We just watched everyone's Prada the other night <laughs> and you can remind me of everyone's name and what they've been in, why they're here, <laughs> why they're attending this party. Mm-hmm. Because he was just a he he was a walk on role for this and he had two lines and he was over there. That is, you're feeding me information. Learn things about people. Yes. And you'll probably know more people at those parties than I will. You'll at least know who they are. I mean, mm-hmm. you'll know way more than I will. I, I think I just pay attention to the obscure headlines. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm the one, like, yeah, I look through, like, the actors in the films, too, but I'm also watching, like, four minutes later when, like, the stunt people all come through. Yes. And, like, I'll see familiar names on there. I'm like, what is things that I'm interested in yet? In yet because I um, I did CrossFit. And so, mm-hmm. like, lots of, like, CrossFit transfers over there to stunt perform. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 
like the dialect coaches because I do like I'm an educator in uh-huh. foreign language and international education, so like the dialect coaches pop up. I'm like, well, I know that name. Yes. Not that I know the people. <laughs> you I just know. know who they are. Plus and God else. bless Tony for living God, with it. And because the the last thing I'll say about our family is we live our lives in television and movie quotes. We yeah. live. And we retain them. That is something we do. We and all we, retain. We work them into conversation. Absolutely. It's flawless. Yeah. And we can pull references out from a TV show that we watched when we were 12 yeah. that stuck with us. I can pull some Drake and Josh quotes out yeah. here and make it completely relevant to what's happening in our <laughs> lives right now. That is one thing that I will say is kind of runs in our family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we have a talent for it. Bless Tony for enjoying, well, maybe not always enjoying <laughs> it, but just sitting there and nodding along. Yeah, he He's part- caught on. And he participates sometimes. And I think he feels good when he can uh, can uh, he can add a line. He does. He's like, yes, I got one. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know where or why or how this has came to be with our family, though. Because yeah. I've never met anyone else who does it to our degree. To our degree, no. Because I feel like people have their movies. You know, their couple movies yeah, that they quote totally all the time. Quotable, yeah. yeah, and that they love so much. But this is just a broad smorgasbord of any and every TV show movie yeah. that we've ever seen. We yeah. keep good or things. bad. Good or bad. It doesn't really matter. We'll Important pull those or out. Not. No. It could be a sound effect that we thought was funny. Absolutely. And we have now cre- incorporated it so much into our lives that occasionally we forget where these came from. Yeah. We just know the line. Mm-hmm. And we don't remember our, where it actually came from. We're keeping those movies alive. We're doing them a favor. Yeah. We're keeping them alive. And those TV <laughs> shows. Well, anyway, thank you so much for doing this. Thanks with for having me. me. Yes, love you.